Welcome to episode one of Don't Punt to Geo, a football show on the new Tar Heel blog podcast on the SB Nation podcast network. That may sound new to you, because it is. Tar Heel blog has officially joined forces with the SB Nation podcast network, which means a few things. Better, more consistent recordings, more prominent guests as we grow, audio quality a far cry better than our previous setup, and multiple shows on the same stream so you can pick and choose your content or listen to them all. What I need you to do right now is stop what you're doing and hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're using. That way you'll conveniently get everything on time, which is super important for our basketball show between the banners as February heats up with an eye on March. Maybe go ahead and leave us a little five-star review as well, and I, Chad Floyd, your host, will read it on air. Did I promise prominent guests? Well, I'll break that promise a little bit today. Joining me is Jake Lawrence, Tar Heel blog staffer, and the guy who was brave enough to entrust me with executing his vision for our National Signing Day coverage for football. Jake, how's this lovely Sunday find you? Hey, man, everything's going great. Big big football win yesterday, or a basketball win yesterday, and a big football recruit uh, commitment. So it's been a good weekend. Yeah, good day to be a Tar Heel, I would say. I, you would uh, not be incorrect in saying it's a football win and a basketball win. Yeah, it was uh... – you know, I, I was I was kind of following the game yesterday as I was driving uh, and got kind of concerned, as as was everybody. But uh, got to say that that's quite the environment considering the the, the huge junior day or uh, the amount of juniors they had on campus yesterday too. So kind of a a great way to use both programs and uh, came out on top in in more ways than one. Yeah, and I was actually at the game yesterday. Um, saw a ton of recruits that I recognized just from scouring the twenty four seven rankings. Um, Unfortunately, it was a little bit dead uh, in the Smith Center until, you know, probably about six minutes left in the game when uh, Kobe White and uh, Likes for Miami started trading threes. Um, but, I mean, it got absolutely raucous in there. So I hope they stuck it out for the whole game. UNC got a commit out of that. Uh, four-star receiver Ray Greer from Belmont, North Carolina, makes five commitments for the 2020 class for Mac Brown's staff. Uh, Carolina's ranked 13th in the country in 2020 right now. Um, Jake, do you have anything on Greer specifically before we move on to just the impressive work that, uh, Mac Brown and his staff have done so far? Uh, nothing, nothing too specific. It, it should be noted that he's a wide receiver and it seems like we, we already have a lot of, uh, or we've seen a lot of wide receiver commitments in the 2019 class and then the 2018 class. Uh, I don't think they're gonna they're, they're anywhere near done on the wide receiver standpoint. Uh, and the big thing with, with Greer is he he's top ten in the state, uh, and uh, that that's quite a talented to bring home uh, and keep in Chapel Hill. But with the with the transition to more of an air raid offense, uh, he's probably just the first domino uh, to fall uh, when it comes to comes to that skill position. For sure, and I admittedly have not really watched much film on him. I saw a couple of Twitter clips after the commitment yesterday. It looks like they probably run out of some kind of uh, heavy run offense because quarterback was just kind of throwing him up to him, but he would come down with 50-50 balls, trot him into the end zone. I mean, looks like just will be an excellent player, but is not in an offense that completely is catered to his skill set, or at least not with a quarterback that is just yet. But um like you said, the North Carolina top 10 is starting to fill up in Carolina blue. Uh, he joins Cameron Roseman Sinclair, who's uh, ranked eighth in the state right now as guys who have that distinction. And then Malik McGowan, technically not 
ranked by uh, 24-7 yet. Uh, they have him as a three-star. And then Elijah Burris from Mount Holly, a running back, they have him as a three-star as well. So Matt Brown's building within the state. And I know you loved his comments on Tuesday, or I guess it was Wednesday was signing day. Um, this week's kind of running together, man. Um, no, he no said problem, he, no problem. Where, where he said that uh, he would rather have in-state players stay at home in the in the state of North Carolina, go to State or Wake or Duke, than leave the state. And I like that Mac Brown is playing three-dimensional chess with recruiting right now. What did did you have any takeaway from that? Uh, yeah, it's 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 not just three D chess; it's four D chess. And one, I believe he is one hundred percent sincere in when he tells recruits that. Uh, so I don't think it's just him playing the game, but. It also goes to show on, on how much he values the state of North Carolina. He values the competition and the players in North Carolina. And he knows that it's better for the state and for the conference if you can keep uh, NC State, Duke, Wake, and UNC all somewhat competitive. Um, and there's something to that. It, it also builds better relationships with the coaches and breeds some healthy competition. Uh, so uh, I'm a big fan of it, and I absolutely believe that, uh, every everything he said. But to go to the – the the chess playing side of it, it also goes to show those kids that he's absolutely absolutely sincere and that he has an invested interest in their state. Uh, and that makes a difference, especially when you're trying to cultivate one, two, three, four-year relationships with parents and players and coaches. And especially the coaches who have just raved about uh, Brown's return. The, the other thing I like about it is just the confidence it instills where he says, yeah, I'm going to get my – Pick of the top 10 or 15 guys in state. And I want the rest of you to go get your asses kicked by UNC while you're in state. Oh yeah. There, there's um, definitely, there, there's definitely, definitely a, a, a competition factor to that. And, and that's one of those bragging right things that, that you can only, you can hold over the other schools, but you also help build that culture within your locker room of, Hey, look, they chose not to come here. They wanted to stay in state. They wanted to go to a different school inside the state and they wanted to challenge you and you still took it to them. Uh, and that builds a that that builds a continuity and a culture that can that can grow over over a uh, an expansive time period. Yeah, and he and he's kind of instilling a pride in being a North Carolinian, where uh, the previous regime just you know kind of went wherever and really prioritized Georgia and Florida over the state of North Carolina. So it's going to be interesting to see how the ball gets rolling. But another place that Brown and UNC have had success with the likes of Lawrence Taylor, Dre Bly. Ronald Curry is the state of Virginia and Carolina has a commit from four star Ethan West, the number six player in Virginia and is apparently closing in on two DBs who rank fifth and seventh in that state. So Jake, are, are you excited about getting back in the seven, five, seven? I am massively excited because more than anything, it is taking it to. What, what has turned into a somewhat of a burgeoning rivalry on the recruiting trail with Virginia Tech. And, uh, Virginia has the, has the talent, uh, but they often, they, all, they often have not had the football programs. Uh, and so th- those, you know, Virginia and Virginia Tech have kind of been the big powers in the state. Well, now you have Old Dominion. They can steal a little bit of talent from, from that area. Uh, and then Maryland's kind of a dumpster fire right now. So there's a whole lot of talent up in the, up in the northern part of the state that, that's there for the taking. And, North Carolina has struggled to make inroads there um, for whatever reason since Butch Davis left. Uh, and so to get back into that and steal that talent, that, don't, that not only makes North Carolina a better program, but that, that strikes at the heart of, of two big conference rivals 
uh, as well inside that state. So there's there, there's multiple benefits to that. And if you look at it from a national perspective, the elite guys in Virginia are ending up, you know, mostly at like Penn State and Ohio State, and then some of them will end up at Florida, Clemson, um, you know, some of them Florida State going back a little ways. But, you know, it, it is similar to North Carolina in that top programs come and uh, poach the top talent. And I can see Brown using it almost as a proxy second state to go pluck uh, the elite ta- talent, like he said he was going to do from out of state, because Virginia and North Carolina, both in the mid-Atlantic, are kind of wide open as far as recruiting elite talent goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned Penn State. I'm glad you did. Uh, Carolina had a uh, a verbal recruit – or, I'm sorry, a verbal commitment from, I believe, uh, Akeem Beeman at one point, uh, and he decommitted and is now going to uh, Penn State, uh, and he's from from the Northern Virginia area. So that's the guy right there who North Carolina had in their grasps and couldn't hold on to him. And he still decided not to stay in state in Virginia and still went even more north. So um, that that whole that whole situation has directly impacted North Carolina just in the last uh, 18 months. Yeah, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but UNC did get a little bit of vengeance in landing Emory Simmons from, uh, Hope Mills, South Carolina, or from Hope Mills, North Carolina. I'm from like an hour away from there. I should know which state it's <laughs> in. Um, but I just wanted to take a quick look at that top 10 in North Carolina. Um, I'm scrolling 24 seven and it's really fun to see all the, uh, NC State crystal balls from two individuals that, you know, we're not going to mention by name, but. Basically just uh, tooting the horn for NC State as their very aggressive, finger quotes, insiders here. So Desmond Evans has two NC State crystal balls and one for UNC. Mitchell Mays, uh, two for NC State and one for UNC. Um, it, you know, I wish that that network could do a job of being maybe a little bit more objective. It's not our job to be quite as objective. How many guys is UNC going to end up uh, plucking out of this top 10? If I'm looking at it right now, I think the worst case with them already having two, I think the worst case is four, and I think they could get up to six. Um, I'm not sure we get out of the month of February without grabbing one or two more, to be honest with you. That would be about the range I would look at. Um, we've got, you know, Kedrick Bingley-Jones, decommitted from Florida after visiting UNC. Um, apparently his dad's a big Carolina fan. And, and he was just on campus this weekend, too. Was he on campus again this weekend? Yep, he he, he made an appearance at the game yesterday. So that's the one I think that, that deserves a little bit of, uh, of attention over the next couple of weeks to see if they can go and close him early. That would be absolutely excellent. I didn't realize he was on campus yesterday. I would have uh, given him a shout-out. I did wear my Tar Heel blog, Let's Get This Work shirt, and somebody – from the recruiting staff, uh, gave me a shout out during halftime. Um, hey, that's a good shirt. So anyone listening, go to our website, find the link, buy that shirt. Yeah. Buy it maybe a size larger than you would think because they are that ultra soft cotton that, uh, will form fit very well, but glorious t-shirts. I now have ordered two of them because my large was a little bit smaller than I wanted it to be. Um, but they are fantastic shirts and you will get shout outs. Hey, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, some of our staff, help create that shirt, correct? Uh, Brandon Anderson would be the point man on that one. Uh, Brandon, who should be joining me for an episode of Between the Banners later today. Um, yeah, we 
I, I don't know if we see any residual incomes from that. I know I don't. I, I don't know if you do, but um, it definitely helps. Our, I do not. It, hey, it helps our website, and they're awesome shirts. And it also gives us a little bit more credibility for if we want to create something down the road. Um, if we have good sales on this one, we can make something awesome in the future. So buy our stuff. I was, I was about to. You, I, 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 I was about to use another word, but uh, we're, we're trying to keep this one clean for now. Um, Jake, I think Desmond Evans from uh, Sanford, number one player in the state, uh, number 31 overall, according to 247, number two on ESPN's 300. I don't have any inside information. Um, I grew up about 30 minutes away from Sanford. It is a big UNC place. I think he's going to end up being a heel. And then just going down the rest of the list, if you're saying four or six, four to six of the top ten, I think Mike Wyman from uh, Dudley and Greensboro could be another guy. Uh, Miles Murphy, number seven, was on campus yesterday. And then uh, Bingley Jones does seem like the most obvious next chip fall. Yeah, I uh, I would throw uh, uh, Moose Muhammad into that. Um, He's he's at down out of Charlotte uh, right now. I know his dad went to Michigan State. Uh, I think Michigan State's hard on him, so that might be a legacy thing that we uh, that, that we see him go outside the state. But I think the big thing to look at, uh, aside just from him, uh, keeping the majority of the top ten in state. And what has been a problem is watching these guys go to Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, uh, th- those kind of places. And if you look at it right now, even even if they don't come to North Carolina, uh, it kind of goes back to what we're talking about with, with Matt Brown. If they can keep them in state, that's, that's a start. The, the problem I, I, I see happening is I don't know if some of these top tier players in the state like Desmond Evans, I don't know if North Carolina is quite to the point yet to where they can, they can grab them. I hope so. And it is obviously, uh, their intention, the coaching staff's intention to go after, uh, that top tier talent. I think they still might be a year away from being able to close talent like Desmond Evans. Uh, but if he does not go out of state, uh, I would expect him to go to North Carolina. That, I mean, that, that's kind of the expectation I think North, North Carolina fans now have is if they now stay in state, uh, they're going to be a heel. Whereas the past couple of years have felt like we were having to battle, uh, battle the wolf pack up the road. I'm not sure that is going to be as much of a battle uh, as we have seen. Uh, and I think the bigger, I think the bigger fights are going to be between South Carolina and North Carolina, Clemson and North Carolina, as opposed to trying to flip Duke recruits, uh, and, and watching some of the talent go to Wake Forest as well. Or losing out on recruits to ECU, uh, which the previous regime did do in this last recruiting class. Um, that is also accurate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to put, a wrap on it. The last time UNC had three or more top 10 recruits in the state of North Carolina was the year that Nas Jones, Des Lawrence, and TJ Logan all signed in state. The 2019 class ended up with, uh, with Hoffrey Brown, uh, ending up at number 11, ended up with two technically in the top 10 by that same measure. Looking on the outside of the top 10, I'm seeing guys like Trenton Simpson. Uh, he was on campus again yesterday. As far as I know, or a guy that looked just like him was. Um, I have not read any uh, reports to the contrary, but he's a guy that UNC is recruiting as a linebacker. I feel like he could possibly be, you know, on the bubble for possibly getting into Chapel Hill soon. Yeah, him and there's another one that's not uh, 
that there is not being talked about a whole lot is a guy, guy last name is, I believe, Quinley, Quarius Quinley, I think. Um, I need to check that name up. That might be wrong, but, uh, there are a couple that are not necessarily rated right now by 247, but they are on rivals. Uh, and all this, you know, we have to, we have to make sure that we, we clarify this. These rankings change constantly, uh, and each site and each service have their own way of going about it. So uh, if someone's not ranked right now and they, when, when they get an offer or when they visit, nothing to worry about. It it's, doesn't mean that doesn't mean they're not talented. It just means it takes some time for the junior, for the junior class to get, to get caught up when it comes to all these rankings. Uh, but, and I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these guys don't have their driver's licenses yet. And we are 12 months away from next year's signing day. So it is, it, it is all very early in the cycle. Yeah, it is. I, I think the bigger takeaway there is that, uh, we are also, we haven't touched on this yet. Uh, there is a heavy, heavy emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. Or at a minimum, there's been an equal emphasis on both sides of the ball. And that was not the case under the previous regime, which was just a whole bunch of offense and then get whatever defenders you could find that might be walking around. Um, and I think that's one of the bigger takeaways too, is that you're going to see a much more balanced team in Chapel Hill in the coming years. Yeah. And even if we have to jump out and maybe take a little bit more talent on the defensive side, which I think as we get into the 2019 class, uh, you'll, you'll see a little bit more of an emphasis on that side. You know, just guys who are scheme versatile and can play multiple positions, which is going to be so incredibly important in, uh, Jay Baton's defense. And, you know, it's, it's going to be fun to watch because it was extremely fun watching guys like Bruce Carter and Kevin Reddick and Quan Sturdivant and Zach Brown run around and make plays uh, under Bush Davis. And I think we're going to see a lot more emphasis on having those type of playmakers end up on the defensive side of the ball. I look at somebody like Carl Tucker, who has been an awesome player at UNC the past four years. Uh, he's going to be a senior this coming year. But I look at him and wonder if he couldn't have been just a headhunter at linebacker. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know the – I'll say it like this. There was so much turnover constantly on defense uh, under Fedora's staff that we never had time to actually see any any one system truly blossom. Um, and partly that's because Chiswick left early uh, or left earlier than expected. Partly that's because of some poor recruiting. Partly because of the, the, the recruiting sanctions that Larry Fedora stepped into. So it was a whole whole combination of issues. Um, but what could not, what cannot be argued is that you never really saw the, uh, saw the development on the defensive side of the ball with the exception of, a, of, of a couple players in the secondary. Uh, and the difference with Jay Bateman's defense is going to be, yeah, there's going to be some ambiguity. There's going to be some, uh, some crossover of positions. There's going to be a little bit more less traditional, uh, less traditional play calling, so to speak. But you're going to have just straight-up athletes. And there, there's something to be said for just going to get the best possible talent and make it fit. And I think that's what you're going to see over the next couple of years, uh, just getting just getting athletic monsters and then saying, okay, now we're going to put you in a position to be successful as opposed to saying we have these certain positions and we need to find someone to fill that specific slot. Uh, it's two different two different philosophies. Yeah, under the previous regime, there is kind of an emphasis on shoehorning a guy into a position. And you even look at somebody who, like Jalen Dalton, who, 
you know, for his recruiting rankings, probably did not pan out uh, at UNC. I, I don't think that's an indictment on Dalton at all, but they basically took a guy who is a rangy 6'6", 250, and decided they were going to beef him up and play him a defensive tackle from Jump Street as opposed to letting him naturally progress into that position. And you you saw a lot of that where, as opposed to getting the best 11 guys on the field, you know, you could have Jalen Dalton playing with Jeremiah Clark and Aaron Crawford, or you could just have them rotating. And, you know, it, it's very similar to basketball in a way where basketball is kind of going to this positionless revolution. Just get the best players on the field, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh I think it's clear that that's kind of, Matt Brown has kind of always, that's kind of always been his philosophy of, you know, you know, the old saying is Jimmy's and Joe's and not X's and O's. And wherever you fall on that, on that spectrum, uh, you still need athletes. And it's, it's almost, it's almost like a simple, not to get too philosophical. It's almost like a simple leadership, uh, philosophy in that you can't force someone, you want to put someone in a position to do their absolute best. And it's on you as the coach or the leader to find, find a way to make someone successful as opposed to forcing them to be unsuccessful and then getting mad when they don't do what you want them to do. And it felt like the the previous coaching staff would, as you, as you said, shoehorn a player into a position. And then when it didn't work out, kind of give up on them or just recruit over them and then wouldn't develop them from, from that standpoint. Um, and I think Dalton is probably a very good, a very good person or player to use there. Uh, along with some injuries and probably playing out of position at times and never really fully developed. I don't think that's all on Dalton. Um, I don't think you're going to see that as often uh, under under the next coaching staff because I think they're going to just say, go out there and make plays for us, and we're going to find a way to use you. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're not here to just dump on the previous coaching staff, but we're going to leave 2020 with this. I'm going to read the names of one, two, three, four, five, six schools. Notre Dame, Penn State. Iowa, Georgia, South Carolina, Texas. Those are the six schools behind North Carolina in recruiting for 2020 right now. Not bad company. No, that's one heck of a start. And I do want to make one correction. Uh, the, the player I was talking about earlier is Jacurius Conley. Uh, he's an athlete yes. out of Jacksonville, North Carolina. Uh, and I miss, I miss said his name. I want to make sure I get that right, but he's, he's a, he's an athlete that's not been ranked yet by 247, but I believe he's top 25 in the state on rivals. So, uh, that's, he's a player who's obviously going to be a talented, uh, a, a talented player and, and, and a, and a hot target within the state, uh, who Carolina also may be getting the jump on. So this kind of shows you, uh, how, how this staff has, has changed their mindset almost overnight. And from a place in North Carolina that has been kind of forgotten, uh, east of 95 there in Jacksonville. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, anyone who's on social media, they see all these all these tweets coming out from the staff and whatever your opinion is of social media the one thing to take away is that when Matt got here uh got to North Carolina he said we're going to go visit every every high school in the state and he has visited every high school in the state or almost every high school in the state in his first 2 months while closing a top 35 recruiting class and while starting a top 15 recruiting class for next year uh, those things are all not mutually exclusive. It is all related, uh, and it's all part of his of his bigger plan that he's implementing. Damn right. And uh, what we're going to do is take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about that 2019 class that Brown closed. 
And we are back to talk about that 2019 class that Matt Brown closed, finishing up last Wednesday. When he took over uh, on November 27th, UNC's class was 65th in the country among many great uh, G5 elites, such as East Carolina, who won three games last year. And I'm not going. I'm not going back through that list, man. I'm not relitigating this again. Um, yeah. <laughs> Carolina basically had the non-Kansas division worst P5 class in the country when Matt Brown took over. Uh, he got rid of about half of the class, you know, guys who may go on to have great careers, but he didn't see them being ACC caliber players. Dropped the heels into the 90s for a brief period uh, for the 2019 class. Ended up, what are we, number 32? Yeah, number 32 in the nation with... A pretty impressive finish. You know, Jake, it was a situation where basically anybody that UNC kind of where, – where there was smoke around UNC and a recruit, they ended up closing them. Um, of course, Carolina finished up with a flurry on signing day, landing Eugene Asante from Chantilly, Virginia, number eight player in the state of Virginia, uh, late bloomer. And speaking of late bloomers, Wisdom Asaburo, uh, defensive tackle from Matthews standing 6'8", 280, a guy who, uh, reclassified from the 2020 class at the last minute and just absolutely sweats athleticism. Um, let's start with those two guys because they were kind of the primary targets after the early signing period. Um, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think just based on his tape, Asante is going to be the best linebacker in Chapel Hill when he steps on campus unless Zach Brown's visiting or something. Uh, I think that is not a, I don't think that's a stretch at all. Um, largely because of what they're losing at linebacker. Uh, and then there didn't seem to be a whole lot, uh, on the second string last year at linebacker. Uh, and Asante was, was picked specifically for this defense, um, that, that they're going to implement. So I don't, I, I think it's fair to say that. Eugene Asante could show out uh, very early next season if you're looking for a, a breakout candidate. Um, and you know you, you don't teach athleticism. He only played linebacker this past year, I believe. I think he changed positions. That's why he was the late bloomer that he was. Uh, but a, a guy who hits and has sideline side to sideline speed—that's you can't teach that. And uh, I, I think uh, I think he's gonna gonna push hard for playing time very early. Yeah, and the fun part about Asante was you know. Virginia Tech had, uh, two years to watch this guy and, uh, get, and give him an offer and then felt like the perceived leader when they were his first uh, P5 offer back in December. And, you know, that, that was kind of a pull for him. And Carolina came in, offered maybe a week later with, you know, having a new staff on campus. Uh, they, they made him a priority and got his signature on signing day. But, you know, as many of these battles as UNC has lost to get a guy that, was more or less a stone cold lock for one of your primary rivals, uh big time recruiting rival. He's the player to be named in the Dax Hollyfield trade and just based on film I think UNC got the better of that deal. Yeah, I, I think Carolina's gonna come out on top of that when it's all said and done. Uh as long as he stays healthy. Um, you know, that's always the caveat, but I should feel very, very good on multiple levels, not just the talent, but everything that it represents of, of going going into Virginia, taking a top ten player from Virginia, and basically steal him out from underneath Virginia Tech. I, I think the I think the difference in him and Dax is that 
Dax was always he was interested in, in UNC, but he was never considered a the head and shoulders leader the way Virginia Tech was for Asante. So uh, I, I I think you could argue this is probably even a bigger coup than uh, than Virginia Tech taking Dax out from Shelby. And just on that, what what it kind of looks like to me is Hollyfield was looking for a reason to go out of state. Whereas Asante was looking for a reason not to go to Virginia Tech and UNC gave him a reason not to go to Virginia Tech. And that speaks to the work that Brown, Tommy Thigpen, and the rest of the crew did. Yeah, I don't think you can say it any better than that. That's 100% correct. Boom. Well, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it anymore then because, you know, I will say it incorrectly eventually. Uh, Winston Massaburo, <laughs> as I said, Nigerian guy, very new to football, but if you look at his tape, you got a six foot eight defensive tackle playing some running back on his film. Um, it's, it would be irritating to see if he was not athletic, but he actually does not look so uncomfortable there. Uh, the, the main thing you see from his film is that his pad level is too high, which, you know, tends to be the case for a guy new to football who also happens to be a basketball player size. This guy's going to be a monster. If he can put it all together and I, I think he'll definitely need a redshirt year, but he's, I mean, just a guy who oozes athleticism. Yeah, I think he could be, he could end up being the steal of this class. Uh, I don't just based on potential alone. You know, there's a long way to go. You got to teach, you got to develop. I think Matt Brown at his press conference even, even pointed out his high pad level. Um, so clearly a, a project, but. Look, you're talking 6'8", 280, and it's not a fat 280. It is a chiseled athletic 280 uh, that really doesn't know what it's doing yet. Uh, it has to be taught taught how to use that. He's gonna be he's gonna be a freak. And you know, I jokingly said that you know I don't want to make the Julius Peppers uh, comparison because he played running back in high school too, and yada yada yada. Um, so I'm not gonna go that far. But if you're looking at someone just from from a pure athleticism standpoint. Um, there is reason to get excited over Wisdom Asaboro, uh, and, and I'll just leave it at that for right now. Yeah, to me, you know, even with his pad level, he just reminded me of Calais Campbell, uh, who played at Miami, and he's been in the NFL for seven or eight years now. But, you know, if, if, if that's if that's his outcome, that's not going to be a bad thing. But even a guy like the fellow uh, Snowden at Virginia, who's about 6'7", and batted down literally every pass Nathan Elliott threw, in the game in Charlottesville this past year. Um, just, you can't teach that kind of size. And if he figures out football even remotely, you know, just based on his athleticism and size, he's going to be drafted in the NFL in four or five years. Uh, yep. 100%. Again, nailed it. Yep. Hey, man, I'm, I'm on a roll today. Um, other guys that UNC added to the class last Wednesday, Ty Murray, an offensive guard. Uh, he's probably going to play center at UNC. Uh, from Carrollton, Georgia. You have Don Chapman, a safety. Um, well, UNC said they were recruiting him as a cornerback, which is surprising at 6'2", 185, from San Diego, California, spreading the wings a little bit. And then JUCO defensive lineman Raymond Vohasek from Illinois. Uh, he's 6'4", 255. He's going to play right away. I'm excited about seeing, you know, just a guy – in Vohasek, who could probably line up at three or four different positions under uh, Jay Bateman's scheme. Yeah, he he is. Uh, Vohasek was one hundred percent a a depth and versatility signing. Um, he's probably not going to be dominant, uh, at least not initially. 
but he is someone who can put his hand in the dirt and stand up on the outside. Uh, and as a JUCO, he's uh, he's in the unique position of having three years. So it wasn't just a two year rental that, that North Carolina went out and signed. They they he was targeted for for his depth and and potential longevity. Uh, the one question with him is he is coming off an injury. He didn't play this past year. That's why he has three years uh, of eligibility. He only played one year of JUCO. But the good news is, even though he didn't play this past year, he should be rested. He should be as healthy as possible coming off all his recovery from, I believe it was a torn labrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he'll be ready to rock and roll early. Uh, and and for a position that had some attrition this past year to graduation, uh, they're going to have even more attrition next year, I believe. Uh, so. Uh, he's someone who, who, who should be a nice stopgap over the next two years or so while, uh, while they continue to recruit along the defensive line and get some, get some younger, more explosive talent in there. That, that's why UNC is going to just hit 10 out of 10 on that 2020 class. But, uh, you know, I, I digress. I like the optimism. There you go. Uh, Jake, let's, let's run a few superlatives from this 2019 class. I, uh, I told you I was going to put you on the spot about this, but I didn't really, well, I didn't tell you what the uh, categories were, and I didn't really know what the categories were until we started recording here. Who's the best player in the 2019 class coming to UNC? Sam Howell. You can't go wrong with that. Sam Howell at quarterback, um, the highest ranked. Uh, he flipped from Florida State. Most people know his story by now. Uh, and he'll have the potential to, to come in on day one and start. Don't know if he'll do it, but he's gonna, he's walking into one of the better situations of the entire, of the entire recruiting class. Uh, and uh, I don't think there's any doubt that that he is probably the he he's the crown jewel of, of what they brought in. And I guess I'm gonna just have to give a divergent answer so we can give as many of these guys love as possible. I'm gonna go Eugene Asante. Um, he's more of an immediate impact guy, I guess for for me, and I do have that as a category here. But um, his uh, his athleticism and speed and sideline to sideline ability, like you said, at linebacker is something that we have not seen in Chapel Hill uh, this decade. Um, the next one up was the immediate impact guy. So let's take Asante out of the equation. Who you got? Immediate impact. Uh, I'm curious to see if Giovanni Biggers can help out in the secondary. Six one one eighty. He was a safety, but there's no telling how he's going to be used uh, in this uh, in this scheme. Um, he's been, he's been a recruit for, for quite some time or a commit for quite some time. And he's someone that, uh, he was a holdover from the Fedora committals. So that means that the, the staff saw enough in him that they wanted him to, to continue on at Chapel Hill. So, uh, I'm curious if there's going to be playing time for him and, and what he can provide. And along those same lines, because great minds think alike, I'm going Kadri Jackson. Uh, he's already on campus, uh, 6'2", 190, listed as a safety on 247, but I think he's going to end up being more of an outside linebacker type. I, I just see a whole lot of uh, playing time available in the linebacking core, and I think uh, Jackson getting an extra six months of reps and uh, learning Jay Bateman's scheme is going to be a guy who sees extensive time on the field next year. Uh, I like it. Hard to disagree with that. I think I think if you're looking for immediate impact, you, you cannot go wrong looking at the linebacker situation. No, it it, uh, it it turns out that that is a good place to start. Um, had to switch recording devices right quick, but Jake, we were talking about the uh, offense and maybe not having as much of a chance to have immediate impact players there, perhaps outside of Howell. Uh, what with Cade Fortin and Jace Reuter back on campus as redshirt freshmen, uh, they showed up pretty well in their first uh, attempts. 
if you had a guy who could make an immediate impact on offense, who would it be outside of Howell? Uh, I think there are, I think there are two options. Um, the first one would be with, with the amount of receivers they want to use and with Anthony Ratliff Williams going pro. I'm wondering if Caffrey Brown, um, is it Caffrey or Coffrey? I think it's Coffrey technically. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. It, regardless, I think he has an opportunity, uh, being a, a, a top 250 player, uh, and, uh, a, a top, basically a top 30 player in his position in the country. Uh, I think you could hear a little bit of noise from him. Uh, but I'm more, I'm more interested to see if Wyatt Tunnel, uh, from, uh, from South Carolina, uh, can, can make any noise. He was a flip. Uh, they went after him, uh, for the line. Uh, and I'm curious, you know, that's, that's not a normal one that you go after per se. It's not something you would necessarily automatically think of. Um, but him, uh, I'm curious what, what he can do on the line as well, because, uh, I think, they targeted him for a reason, and with bringing in a new offensive uh, setup, I wonder if they think his his skills can match a little bit better than what they currently have on the roster. So uh, he was targeted early and flipped, I believe, from App State, uh, and uh, uh, I, I I think he was probably more than just a just a project player. Yeah, if I was uh, if I was trying to make a bet, you know, kind of against some odds and uh, make some money on something, I would go with Tristan Miller along those same lines with Tunnel. Um, where you have William Sweet leaving early, there is a spot at one of the tackle spots open, uh, and Tristan Miller just with his athleticism in a system where the splits are going to be a little bit wider, you know, you you can cover up some deficiencies uh, for a young offensive lineman with that. But I'm like you, I'm, I'm going to go to a receiver and I'm, I'm going to say Emory Simmons, uh, another guy who's on campus early. So I'm cheating a little bit here, but his athleticism is just unreal. Had one of the uh, highest spark ratings at one of the Nike combines that anybody who's recently picked UNC has and, um, you know, could fill in very admirably for Anthony Ratliff Williams, uh, right away. All the, you know, he, he's not going to be one of the starters, but like you said, with uh, the air raid system, UNC is going to play eight to ten receivers on any given day, and I think Simmons is going to be the one out of this class that uh, makes an impact in 2019. Jake, who's yeah, your hard, hard to argue with, with with that line of thinking. I, th- I think we both see the same things there. There's there's an opportunity, if not but low, uh, probably not an expectation at wide receiver, uh, and I think there's more intrigue on the line uh, just to kind of a, play the what if game there, just because of. Uh, the change in system and some of the targets that the coaching staff went after specifically. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it doesn't make good audio for us to be uh, so philosophically aligned. So um, if you want, listener, leave us a five-star review. Say, hey, find somebody with a different opinion. Uh, we will work on that. Um, Jake, who's your sleeper in this class? My sleeper this class? Uh, I'm going to stay on the offensive side of the ball. Uh and uh, I'm going to say, uh, I think Josh Henderson. Um, Interesting. Well, <clears throat> let me get a little bit philosophical. Uh, the, we, we had a really good, we have a very good uh, running back core. Uh, and with Javante Williams is, is the fourth guy there, uh, I think that they're, they're, I think they're pretty solid. But uh, again, Henderson, I think, brings a little bit of a, of a different flavor to it. Um, I think to, to some extent, we kind of know what Jordan Brown is. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I look at Josh Henderson as potentially being uh, a similar player to Brown. Uh, I think that he has a little bit of, of the dual capability that Brown has compared to 
Carter or Antonio Williams or Javante Williams who are different types of running backs, but they're, they're running backs. I think Henderson can help in that passing game. Uh, and if, if the coaching staff is looking to get some, some early reps for a player, uh, I am, I am intrigued to see him step into that role. Yeah. And I don't know if I created this uh, rumor or not, but, um, I feel like somewhere I saw where he might be a candidate to move to linebacker or safety, uh, just based on the talent already in the running back room. And I really do not know if that you was may something have created that I just that imagined rumor, in And my if head. you did, uh, I would buy that 100% because it's six feet, 205 pounds. Uh, he is someone who could slide over there based on athleticism alone. So, yep. uh, if that is what happens and he turns out to be a sleeper on the linebacker core, I'll still take credit for naming him as a sleeper at the running back position. Beautiful. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And you know, what, what it really does is it gives you uh, two different chips to play with there. So, uh, you're welcome and I will allow it. Um, my guy is, you know, a guy that I don't, you know, I mean, really probably the least mentioned name in this class because he committed very early to Larry Fedora, but at six five two eighty five, offensive tackle from, uh, Pennsylvania, Asim Richards, he, Looks the part of a guy who could be a left tackle both on the college and potentially on the pro level. Um, he's being overlooked a little bit with Tristan Miller on campus and with, uh, Wyatt Tunnel being a late commitment and, uh, Ty Murray being a late commitment, but overall makes for a very, uh, solid offensive line class. And he just has, he already has the size and I mean, he, it looks like he is just some footwork away from being a stud on the offensive line. Yeah, you know, and while we're at it, we've, we've essentially named every offensive line recruit except Ty Murray. So let's throw him in there too, because he was targeted for, for playing the center position after Matt Brown sure. said they specifically wanted a center. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway of this is that they didn't lose a whole lot on the offensive line this year, but they still went heavy on recruiting offensive linemen. And I think at some point, one of those five names, uh, I believe it's five, Murray, Richards, Miller, Tunnel, I'm missing one. So is it four? I, I think it's only four. Only four. Okay. I'm going to feel uh, really bad if today. I'm reading through but this. And I think I'm one of somebody. those four you're going to see crack crack the regular rotation just because they're only losing William Sweet really, uh, and with like again with the change in scheme, they went after four different linemen. So I, I think that they they see some potential some potential attrition there or some potential uh, spots for for the freshman to step up uh, and perform. Absolutely. And just while we are on sleepers, I mean, uh, Tristan Varner and Kevin Hester, two guys, you know, that mold kind of similar to Asaburo in a way where new to football, thought they were going to play basketball in college. Um, th- those are two guys just in the 6'4", 6'5", 230, 250 range that, depending on how they develop as football players, could be monsters on that side. And, you know, th- those guys are always a roll of the dice, but Hell, if one of them hits, then uh, it is absolutely worth it. If both of them hit, then UNC has a beastly defensive line going forward. Yeah, I, I think both those guys are, are are probably a little bit more projects than anything, just for the reasons you stated. They're a little bit later um, uh, to, to football to, to some extent. Uh, I, I think the the bigger takeaway there, though, is that uh, after after seven years, fans are more willing to let Mac Brown's uh, shots in the dark uh, and, and high-risk players play out than they were with Larry Fedora's. We, we kind of saw what happened with, with, those, with, with those players, and very rarely did they outperform uh, their, you know, their, their initial rankings. Uh, 
Um, yeah. And I, um, I think that there's some excitement to where we're, we are willing to, to wait and see what happens with some of, some of the rolls of the dice that, that this staff will take. And that, that buys some goodwill and that also buys some hope, uh, and something to look forward to. Yeah, and I think you make a really good point there. You know, a lot of guys that showed up at UNC as freshmen, you know, outside of really the quarterback room, basically left as the same players. You know, I think of somebody like Donnie Miles, who was basically starting from his redshirt freshman year. He was a very solid player for UNC, but he basically plateaued, you know, when he was early on in his career. Uh We mentioned Jalen Dalton earlier in the show, but guys just never really seemed to you know, you you wouldn't see the freshman to sophomore to junior to senior development um, in a linear way. You would just kind of well, if it was linear, it was a plateau. And uh, you, you yeah, and I mean, the, the only two that really come to mind immediately that you could say they really grew. Uh, Matt Collins, I think, is, is a fair candidate to say that you saw him grow from what he stepped on campus as. Uh, yeah. And and maybe Cole Holcomb from last year, but even then. Holcomb seemed to be more of a product of just the ability and the uh, the playing time that was available. Uh, great Tar Heel, great effort, had monster games and monster moments, but often not someone you looked at and you thought, now this guy has really grown and stepped up. You kind of just figured, okay, it was his time, it's his turn, he made the most of it. Um, and those are the only two, though, that can that, that really come to mind right off the bat. And maybe I'm a little bit wrong on that. Uh, well, and no, offense to, to, no offense to Cole, but that's just kind of what it seemed like uh, during during his career, and both of those guys were walk-ons. So you know you're you're looking right. at guys who didn't really have viable other options coming in, and you're going to have a few of those guys come out of nowhere. I mean, I, I always use the Demarcus Murray went to Troy, uh, Demarcus Ware. Good God, um, went to Troy example where you know not every guy who uh, who comes out of high school is going to be you know. There's not a linear correlation between recruiting rankings or your high school talent and what you are in four years. So I don't know if it's an indictment or something to be proud of that UNC did have that kind of development with walk-ons. You look at Jeff Schopmer as another guy in that same vein. But it is interesting that when we speak to successes in player development under the previous regime, we go straight to walk-ons. I think that's probably the bigger takeaway. Uh, they, they, they found a couple of diamonds in the rough. They, they cultivated good character guys who made the most of their opportunity. Uh, but they didn't really seem to do a whole lot with developing those, those three stars that come in that, that turn into stars. Um, and I think that at this point, we don't know if that'll happen under, under this coaching staff. It's to be determined, but, uh, it definitely buys a little bit of hope and you're, and you're willing to give it the benefit of the doubt for a couple of years. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Jake, I'm, I'm going to leave you on this. Who's your, who's your favorite player in this class as far as just completely, uh, arbitrary, um, criteria go? Uh, I'm probably going to steal yours, but, uh, I like Storm Duck because I think that's a great name. Uh, well, we're, we're going to end, uh, being very boring and agreeing on that one because, uh, Storm Duck <laughs> needs to be, you know, I, I need a game used jersey. Um, my dog's name is Duck, for those who don't know, which, why would you? Um, but just an awesome name, part of the all-name team on SB Nation. Um, a guy who, you know, for all of his name accolades, is a rangy corner and probably the fastest guy, at least in this class, but maybe on campus. I'd, I'd like to see him and uh, Chaffrey Brown in a foot race. 
Jake, what do you have uh, coming up on TarHillBlog.com or elsewhere that you can plug? I know you were uh, part of a Dallas Mavericks podcast the other night. Yeah, I was over on Blue Hardwood. Uh, they reached out and asked me to talk about Justin Jackson. So if uh, you, you have a moment, uh, look that up. Uh, and, we, and we spoke for about 30 minutes on what Justin can bring to the Mavericks. But no, next week, uh, or I guess this week by the time this airs, uh, look, I'm going to look a little bit more at uh, Garrison Brooks and why why I think he's a little bit underappreciated by Carolina fans on the basketball side. And on the football side, towards the end of this month, uh, I'm going to look at Mac Brown's first 100 days uh, and see where, where the program was and where it is and uh, what exactly has been accomplished. So uh, those, those are probably my two big projects coming out. Um, not to spoil the second piece, but newsflash, a lot has changed in 100 days. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of research has to be done. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we could use this podcast as a source, so, you know, I, I like to help where I can. Um, you can I find Jake it, on Twitter at the realist RJL. He's, uh, he's a good follow for stats and observations, and I appreciate his use of the space bar and, uh, a couple of strokes of the return key before, um, Cycling between points in one tweet. It makes for very easy reading. Um, oh, well, I appreciate that. I also enjoy trolling NC State fans when I get a chance, so uh, oh, go man. ahead and, uh, and follow me for that reason, too. It was a week for that, and what I'm hoping is that I can get uh, Brandon Anderson back on the pod later today uh, on the Between the Banners show because we had an extensive trolling of NC State fans that was lost um, to the audio gods back last Wednesday night. Um, for me, that's going to be kind of what my goal is for the week is to really get both of these podcasts up and running. Uh, you can find me at Chad underscore Floyd on Twitter. Like I said, please, 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 please subscribe. Uh, leave us a five star review. Even if you think we suck, I will read whatever you say about it on air. But, um, this, this is an exciting time for, uh, the Tar Hill blog podcast. We are going to grow quickly under the SB Nation vertical. And we want you to be a part of it on the ground floor. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.